Hi everyone, this is Arzo, and you're listening to the Sexy Boss Babe Podcast, Season 2, Episode 16. Today's topic is on abusive relationships. This is a really important topic because the statistics are pretty staggering regarding women being in abusive relationships, and it's somewhere along the lines of one in um, five women or have been in an abusive relationship within their lifetime. That means that if you are at a family party, there are multiple women in your family that are experiencing or have experienced an abusive relationship. If you are sitting in a classroom and look around the room, there are multiple women in that classroom that are currently at this time experiencing an abusive relationship or they've had one in the past or they're going to have one. Same thing at work, same thing in your group of friends, and oftentimes women don't talk about it. And I'm going to share some of my personal, a very personal experience with you guys uh, about an abusive relationship that I had. And the reason why um, Sexy Boss Babe is, has been created as an empowerment a women empowerment brand. It's in part because of my experience with an abusive relationship. That relationship changed me as a person. It changed my view on life. It did a lot of things to me that shook me to my core. So, and I learned a lot through the process. Um, and I'm just going to jump into it and start sharing with you guys. So, Prior to this person, um, and I might have talked about this on other podcasts, but I had always kind of been just very generous and open and giving to my family, friends, um, you know, boyfriends if I've dated. It's just kind of who I've always been as a person. And I've always been someone that believed in unconditional love and having faith in, um, in people and and love and humanity and and good and all these things like I totally totally believed in it like the way that like in a Disney movie where people just kind of believe I carried that sense of innocence with me for most of my life and you know we're always kind of told that good always wins and um you know, if you do the right thing or if you treat people the right way, you're going to, it's, you know, you're going to reap the rewards or it'll come back to you or, you know, whatever. So, and I'd been hurt throughout my life in different ways, but I still believed in this value system. And I self-sacrificed a lot in a lot of different circumstances, whether it was for my family, my mom or my dad or a sister or a friend or a boyfriend. And I took pride in being that way. Um, sacrificing my own wants or needs for the person I care about. And I kind of wore it like a badge of honor. Um, I held that as a very high value for myself. Um, So fast forward. So during this time in my life, I was 
working really hard at this company and I had no life. I was working 14 hours a day sometimes, um, six days a week, sometimes seven. And it was a lot. I was under a lot of pressure and I didn't have family around me. Um, I lived in a different town. I just didn't have a lot of time to really be around people. And I was lonely and I just remember just thinking to myself, I, I wasn't in a relationship and I just remember thinking to myself, God, it'd be so nice if I could just meet a guy where it doesn't even have to be a big thing. We just someone that would be a companion and like we can walk our dogs together and we can go grocery shopping and then come home and cook our dinner and like eat dinner together and like watch TV. And that's all I wanted. Just really simple. I ended up meeting somebody at work and um, initially I had noticed him. He was, he started with us after I had started, but I didn't pay attention because I had so much going on. I had so much on my plate. So I wasn't really there to, um, you know, date anyone. It just wasn't on my mind. And after a while he started to befriend me um, and was just really respectful and kind and, um, we eventually kind of became friends and then, um, he had a dog. And so we started by walking our dog sometimes. And then, um, if we were both working late, we'd leave, you know, like I said, walk the dogs. And then we kind of started grabbing a meal after work or having a dinner. And then all of a sudden we were walking the dog in the neighborhood and grabbing groceries and coming back to my apartment and cooking dinner and watching TV and cuddling and, and that's kind of the start. And all of a sudden I was thinking, oh my gosh, I got what I wanted. And he's so nice and he's so cute and he was charming and he was sweet and he was kind and he was thoughtful. And he was engaging and he would really listen to me when I spoke. And he would give me feedback and I'd always also been someone that was very, as as loving and generous as I was, I was very closed off about my feelings, about my own personal feelings and the pains that I had experienced in my life. They were painful for me, so I never felt like I had anyone that I could express to and open up to, so I kept those things inside. And all of a sudden, here's this person that's giving me all this attention, and he started opening up about some of the pains in his life and traumas that he'd gone through. And it made me feel safe to open up and share about mine. And so then all of a sudden, some of these traumas and pains that I'd experienced, you know, just like, and by the way, I speak about them now way more openly because I, I learned the, the danger of, of not doing that. And But at the time, you know, things about my dad and things about my parents' divorce and having a sibling that passed away and, you know, just all these like other different things. And so all of a sudden I'm, he's my safe place and I'm sharing that, those stories with him and he's not judging me and he's being kind and loving and affectionate and generous. He was always so generous with his money, with everything. So I really started to feel like, wow, I found somebody in my life that 
really cares about me and in in the way that I want to be cared for. So this went on for almost a year and we kept getting closer and my lease was up at my apartment and I was going to renew my lease and he lived about 15 minutes away in a different part of town and he suggested that we spend all this time together, we've gotten so close, we get along, we do everything together, that instead of renewing my lease, um, I should move in with him. And then once we do that, we can like start building kind of like a life and we'll split the bills and we'll split the rent and I'll save all this money and and I had never lived with a man before. Um, so this would have been the first time. And I was nervous and scared, but I was also excited. And I wasn't sure if it was the right thing to do. Um, but I just kind of went with my heart. And I said, okay. And so I moved in. Within about a week, I had a very strange feeling in my gut and I started to get anxiety and, and panicky just being in that house, in that apartment. Something, my entire body was like reacting violently in a way. Like I, I, I remember one night I just told him, I was like, I think I made the wrong decision. And he was like, what do you mean? I said, I think this was a wrong decision for me to have moved in with you. And he's like, listen, he's like, he's like, just relax. He's like, everything's going to be fine. It's just a new experience for you. So you're not used to it. Um, but you know, just give it a little time. And if you still feel like it's not something that you're looking for, then, you know, you can, you know, like feel free to leave or whatever. So he was again, very kind. And, um, so I took that advice and I just kept thinking to myself, you know, I, you know, Arzo, you're a little commitment phobic. Maybe, you know, you feel you're, <coughs> you're feeling, you know, scared and fearful because you're actually moving forward in a relationship after a long time. And so maybe it's fear of that. So I told that scared, fearful part of me to quiet down. And I started convincing myself that, you know, I should be living here. So everything was fine at first and, you know, we would work and we'd come home and we'd cook and we'd clean and we'd go for walks with our dogs in this pretty neighborhood and, um, we, we would go to the gym together and he was really into health and fitness. And so all of a sudden we like started like having this like great little routine together. And I had this like, you know, person that cared about me and I cared about him and we were together all the time and it was nice. Um, very shortly after me moving in, probably within a couple of weeks even, or maybe the first month, um, he got fired from the job and it was very shocking to me because it was almost, it seemed as if like he, knowing that I was going to be there he felt kind of comfortable and like it was okay for him to have lost his job. So, um, 
he said he's going to find something else. So I didn't worry too much about it. I figured, okay, well, you know, a couple weeks or a month or whatever, he's going to start looking for another job. And in the meantime, when I would come home from work, he would have dinner ready and everything was just like great. Um, so this went on for, for a little while after about a month or a month and a half. And I started noticing he's just really not being ambitious or actively looking for work. I started questioning him and he started getting angry and, um, yelling. And all of a sudden we're getting into these fights and we had never gotten into fights before. Um, and it's actually, let me rewind. Let me rewind. Cause I just remembered something. There was one time before we moved in where we had a fight. It was not even a fight. It was a disagreement. And it was over something very like normal. It wasn't like a big deal where a normal person or a normal reaction would have just been a disagreement. He escalated it to kind of a scary level. And I remember being like a little scared and a little shocked of his reaction, of his anger. Um, and I didn't talk to him for a few days after that. And then I started missing him because we were so close. So we ended up talking again and then he apologized and then I apologized and then we kind of moved past it. Although I do remember that my gut had kind of, it it had a sensation of like his anger is not normal. Um, but my desire to be around him was more, was, was stronger and was to have him in my life. So let me go back to where we were. So now he does, he's not working. It's been about a month and a half. He's not, he hasn't found work. He hasn't found work. And now that I'm pressing him because that means that the responsibility of a lot of the bills are falling on me, um, he's getting angry and upset. And all of a sudden, um, you know, I let it go another week, two weeks goes by still, there's like no progress, no movement, like nothing. And it's just not getting better. And those dinners that he would make after I got home from work, those went away. So, and then he also wasn't like cleaning up anymore. And so then here I am, I'm working, I'm cleaning, I'm cooking, um, I'm paying for stuff and I'm also not asserting myself either. Um, I'm trying to be polite about stuff and I'm not asserting myself in the way that I should. Um, also if we go out I'm paying for things and it's because he doesn't have an income and I don't like it, but I'm also not saying anything about it because I'm also thinking he's going to start working again and, you know, this happens sometimes and, you know, I should be okay with this and, you know, I'm being a good partner Um, and he's like taking advantage of the situation. Um, after about six months of me putting up with this, we ended up going out one night to meet some of our friends up, some of my friends. 
And then um, we met some of my friends up. And then he wanted to leave and meet some of his friends. So then we left the party that we were at to go meet his friends. So we go to this other party. And then he asks me if he can hold on to my credit card so that he can pay for drinks for for you know if he felt like he wanted to offer his friends a drink that he could feel like a man essentially and buy a round of drinks and it made me feel horrible that he asked me this question it made me feel so bad and I didn't say anything and I felt ashamed and embarrassed and I handed over my credit card and he took my credit card, he put it in his um, in his wallet, we went in, and, you know, he tried to be a big shot and buy a couple rounds of drinks for people, and it just, like, I was burning inside. I was burning inside on a few different levels. Like, one, like, I was just looking at him thinking, like, God, you're so pathetic. Like, you're taking my money so that you can look good in front of your friends. Like, this is so embarrassing for you. And then I was angry at myself that like, I, I, I felt, I felt pathetic that like, you're going to just hand over your credit card and give this idiot money to continue his stupid behavior. And it just was a horrible, horrible night. And that whole night, I just kept thinking to myself, like, I can't keep living like this. I can't live with this person. I can't you know, this is not getting better and this is getting worse. And I'm just, you know, this person is constantly taking advantage of me. This person's constantly abusing my kindness and my generosity and I'm being polite and I don't say anything and he just keeps thinking it's okay. So I'm getting angry and angrier as the night's progressing. So we end up leaving, we go home, we get into this big fight. I start yelling and telling him basically, Everything that I hadn't been saying, I said everything. And I called him out on everything. Um, I um, told him, I'm like, do you think I'm stupid? Do you think I don't know what you're doing? You're taking advantage of me, blah, blah, blah. We get to the house. Um, I take a couple of my things and I leave. I, I leave for the night. I leave for the night. I go stay at a friend's house. And the next, and I just, I cried all night. Um, and I just felt horrible. I just felt horrible. I felt used. I felt like he set up this whole situation to get me to move it, to build trust with me, to get me to move in with him so that he can take the, you know, be a freeloader and find some dumb girl to work while he gets to stay home and do whatever he wants. And so it just made me feel violated in so many ways, um, my trust, my, my, my heart. And, and I cried all night. And the next day I was like, that's it. I'm going to get out of here. Like this is over and I'm not going to put up with this for one more second. And this was after six months. So I called a couple of my friends, um, kind of told them what was going on and just crying. And, um, I had some friends in, 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 uh, San Diego, I was living in LA at the time and I had some friends in San Diego, um, offer to drive up to be there to help me move out. And I should have taken them up on that, but I didn't want to put them out by asking them to come and be there. And 
I, I refused. I said, oh, no, I think I should be fine. I think I'll be okay. And then I called a friend that was locally in town, but that person was, um, was, was busy that day. And I didn't tell them what I needed the help for because I just, I didn't want, again, I didn't want to be put somebody out. And so I thought to myself, I'm like, you know what? I can just do this on my own. This is the, you know, what's, what's the worst that could happen? So I drive back to the apartment and I walk into the apartment. I don't say anything. I just start packing my things. And after a couple of minutes, he looks up at me and he goes, what do you think you're doing? And I looked at him and I said, exactly what I told you I was going to do last night. I'm moving out. Do you think I'm stupid? And I was very empowered in that moment. Like I was like confident and just, you know, ready to tell this guy to screw himself. And he looked at me and he goes, well, what am I going to do? What am I supposed to do? And I looked at him and I said, I don't give an F what you do. And he just looked at me and he snapped, like he snapped. I saw it. And he said, what did you say? And I looked at him and he ran to, he like charged at me, like he was going to hit me. And I got so scared. I ran to the front door to try to run out of the house. And he was really, he's very big and very strong. Like he's, he's trained as a boxer. He ran to the door before I could get there slammed the door shut, locked it, threw me across the room. I got up, ran to the back door. We had a back door. And so I tried to run out the back door. He ran to the back door, locked the back door, closed it, threw me again and started shoving me and coming at me. And I just like, I'm five, two. And he was like six foot four six foot four and muscular and strong. And when he packs a punch, he packs a punch. We used to go to the gym together. The way he punches, it's like nothing I've ever seen. If you've ever watched Rocky four with, with Sylvester Stallone, when that Russian was, when they were, they had this like technology where they could capture the pounds per impact or something like that. When, when you punch the, the, the actor in that movie, that Russian his, his, his punch was like, I don't know, 18 or 2,500 pounds per, I don't know how it works, but something like that. That's how this guy's punch was. And he didn't punch me, but he, that's the, I'm just trying to explain his strength and his ability to threaten was just, I've never seen anything like it. And he started coming at me and the, the look in his eye was like, it was like, like he wasn't even there. Like he wasn't even there. It wasn't him. They were, it was like a monster was there. And I just looked at him and I just like, I I just had this, like, I was like, this guy is going to kill me. He's going to go in the kitchen, grab a knife and he's going to kill me. And I'm going to be a statistic. And all I could think of was that my mom and my sister are they're going to be that family that like lost a sister, lost a, a a daughter. And I I saw this whole thing like play out. And I I couldn't go anywhere. I was at his mercy. And I I I just I dropped my key and my wallet and I said, "Please, you can have my car. You can have my wallet. You can have my money. Just let me walk out this door." please. And I will never talk about this again. Just please let me walk out that door. 
and he came at me and shoved me again and I blacked out. Um, I was so scared. I just, I cowered to the floor and I, I just, I don't remember what was happening outside of me. I, I don't remember. And I just was inside. I like went so deep inside myself. Um, and there was just this voice inside of my head that just kept saying, Arzo, hang on, don't let go. Don't let go. Hang on. Like you're going to get through this. And I just held on to that voice. It was, it was like a lifeline. I literally, I could feel myself getting lost. And when I had started to come to, he was standing beside me and he'd crouched down and he was holding me. And I could just hear all of a sudden it was like I was slowly coming back. Almost like if you, if you had fainted, if, if anyone's ever experienced fainting. When you faint, you kind of disappear a little bit. And then when you start to come to, you can kind of hear noise around you, but you can't really place it until you start waking up. That's kind of what happened. And I could hear his voice saying, Arzo, Arzo, are you okay? Are you okay? And I like opened my eyes and I looked at him and he was back to himself and he was just, um, he was trying to comfort me. And he was like, get up, let me help you, let me help you. And I looked down and I had urinated all over the floor. And I was shaking. I was, I was so afraid. I was afraid for my life. I was afraid of him. And I was broken. I felt broken. That strong, empowered woman that walked in the house that day and was grabbing her things and saying she was moving out. She was gone. She was gone. She was gone. He turned on the bath. He put me in the in the bathtub. Um, he went back to the living room to clean up. He took a mop and just started cleaning up the floor. And I just sat in this bath with my clothes on still. And I was in a state of shock. I just, I didn't know what had just happened. And after a while, he comes back, brings a towel, um, helps me undress, puts the towel on me, and sits me down on the bed. And he's just comforting me at this point. And I just, I couldn't say anything. I, I couldn't talk. Like, 
I just, I couldn't say anything. I don't think I talked for at least a day or two. And I, I couldn't bring myself back. I couldn't click myself together. And I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell anybody because I was scared and because I was ashamed. And I was like a different person after that. And I started to um, distance myself from my friends and from my loved ones. And people started noticing. People started noticing that I looked different. There was a different look in my eye that that person that they knew that had a zest for life and, um, you know, had this energy was something was missing. Something was wrong and nobody liked him. Nobody liked him. And I didn't have the strength to be empowered and stand up for myself again to him. Not for a long time. Um, I was afraid of that monster that came out that day. And I was afraid of what he was capable of doing. And so I gave up. I gave up. And I just kept thinking that if I manage my behavior and how I speak and just keep him happy and maybe at some point help him get a job that things would be okay and things would get better and of course they didn't um months went by and he still wasn't working and I was still working and paying for everything and it was frustrating it was frustrating you know because you're working hard and you're making money and someone else is reaping the benefits of it and not contributing and sometimes I would gather up some courage and get angry and call him out. And I was always met with um, an anger a hundred times stronger than mine and threats and pushing and breaking things. Um threatening to do things to me, threatening to end me. Um, And I know sometimes people, if people that have never been in that circumstance or that situation, they don't understand um, when people are emotionally and mentally abusive and how scary those threats can be. And you believe them. And I believe them. Because I, I've seen what he can do. I mean, I've seen his anger. And I was always afraid of what, he, what could happen if he crosses the line. 
And I knew about a few other stories. Later on, he had told me that his, um, he had an anger problem. No, sorry. He didn't say he had an anger problem, but he said, uh, that his, um, stepfather, he didn't like his stepfather and they got into it one time and it got so bad that he pulled a knife, um, on his stepfather and that he snapped and he almost kind of blacked out and he was that angry. And, uh, his mom was so scared and called his best friend to come and intervene. And the best friend came and, uh, got him off of the stepdad and he ended up, um, they had to call the police and he ended up, uh, in a, in a, on a 5150, um, which is a three day mandatory, uh, psychiatric hold in a hospital and and this was a few years before I had met him and I didn't know this story until much later um and there was another story that he had told me later too about um a friend of his that wronged him or pissed him off or had done something and he took him and this friend was a police, was a, was a police officer. And he took him and drove him to a, a, some part of a forest. And when they got out of the car, he threatened him um, and scared the life out of him to the point where this adult grown man wet his pants. So when I tell you, when I explain the level of fear, it's... It's something that I truly can't explain unless somebody has experienced, has, would have seen or experienced it. It's not something I would wish on anyone, on anyone. For the next few years, I lived in a state of fear. And his anger got worse because he got to know me better. Um, he became more comfortable. And it got to the point like if I came home and I brought the wrong apples from the grocery store he would have one of his anger fits. I was always walking on eggshells. And so many times I contemplated going to the police. And I was afraid. I was afraid if I went to the police, what would they do? What is the police going to do? And I thought to myself, at most, they will say it's, it's, it's a domestic dispute um, and maybe send me on my way. Best case scenario they'll say, you know what, stay, you know, stay away from this guy and here's a restraining order. And now, um, this person knows that I put a restraining order against him and we live together. That's not going to go over well. And we were always together. That's the other thing. And it wasn't always horrible. There were moments where it was very pleasurable and where he was kind and thoughtful and we went on those long walks and it was so enjoyable and we went to the gym together and we ate together and we had dinner together. And it's, I, I talk about this now where the situation is very similar to something called stock, uh, Stockholm syndrome. Stockholm syndrome happens to people, kidnap victims, people that fall in love with their kidnappers. And it's a survival mechanism it's it's a way for you and your brain to cope with being a captive in a traumatic situation 
it creates a safe way to deal with with what you're dealing with. Um, so it's kind of similar in that way. And I had thought about telling family and I was afraid that, you know, what would happen if I told family? What if they got upset and they came and tried to talk to him? And what if he hurt them? And so I'm, you know, there, there was times that I tried to like run away. He would run after me. He would break things. We were in the car driving one time and he just had, he went into a rage and it it literally would just make me shake. And I remember this one time uh, we were in Venice and he wanted to go to Whole Foods and we were headed there, but, um, I, I had thought it closed at 10, but it really closed at nine. And he went crazy over that and went into a complete rage in the car. I was so scared. I opened the door, ran out of the car and I just started running and he started chasing me with the car and everywhere I went, he just, he would just drive the car. And I was just so scared. And he kept telling me to get back in the car, get back in the car. And I just remember standing in the street, looking at him And I'm like, if I get back in the car, are you not going to hurt me? Are you not going to hurt me? And he's like, I'm not going to hurt you. Just get back in the car. And I get back in the car and he waited until I got back in the car. And then he punched the window and the windshield and broke the entire windshield. Like that's the kind of person that he was. And again, like I said, this went on for a while and for a few years. And I remember I was washing the dishes one day and I was sitting there with gloves on and I was just washing the dishes and I just started crying and I was just crying. And he comes from the other room and he says, why are you crying? And I I just looked at him and I said, I'm crying because I feel like I have no life. I have nothing. And he said, why do you feel like that? And I said, I said, what do I have? I said, you take all my money. I said... I'm, I just do whatever you tell me to do. I'm gonna, you don't let me leave. I'm gonna grow old. I'm never gonna get married. I'm never gonna have kids. No one else is ever gonna want to marry me. And I'm just in this. And he hugged me and tried to console me and say not to worry that things are gonna get better and it's all not always gonna be like this. And, you know, that was, that was my life for a while. That was my life for a while. And I was, uh, on a business trip with my mom and my aunt out of town. Um, and I remember going to this trade show, um, and on the drive, I was talking to my cousin who I'm very close with. She's like a sister and we're talking and, and, uh, this, the, the person, the person I was living with, um, he was calling because he needed money. So I would have to like run to the nearest Western union and wire him money. And, um, I was on the phone with my, with my cousin and all of a sudden I end up just having a breakdown and crying to her and telling her everything that's been going on in detail that I haven't told anybody. And she started crying and she said, I can't believe this is how you're living. And she said, you have to tell, you have to tell your mom. And my mom is like a fierce, independent woman. And she taught us to be fierce and independent. So how can I go to her and tell her what I'm going through? It's, it's, she's going to look at me with and lose complete respect for me. 
And I told my cousin, I'm like, I can't tell my mom. And she said, you have to, you have to tell them. And she made me promise her. And so I promised her, um, when I got back to our hotel, we went to go eat and I was sitting at the table looking at my mom and my aunt. And I said, I have to tell you guys something. And so they said, what's going on? And I tell them everything. And I start crying and I tell them I'm scared. I'm afraid. I want to get out. I don't know how to get out. I'm afraid of leaving. I'm afraid of what will happen if I stay. I just don't know what to do. And these two women, these two warrior women looked at me and they said, stop crying. They said, this is over. As of right now, this is over. We're going to help you. And they literally just started game planning between each other. Okay, so what day are you available? What are we going to do this? What are we going to do that? And all of a sudden, they started game planning the whole situation. So they look at me and they said, this is what's going to happen. You're not going to go back to that house. We're going to take you over here and you're going to go and you're, you're going to call him and you're going to tell him that... Um, your dad is sick and you got to go take care of your dad and da, da 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 And another thing that I actually have to mention, and this was probably a blessing in disguise. If this hadn't happened, this, we may not have had a way of, of getting out. Um, there was, it was around Des- November, December, we had a couple really bad rains and we started getting mold on the windows. And so I had told the landlord about this mold and they tried to clean it. The mold came back. And so um, I, I said, look, you know, I don't want to feel, uh, um, I don't want to put myself or my health in danger with mold uh, while you guys fix this because the mold keeps coming back. Uh, you know, can we stay at a, at a hotel or some kind of an extended stay? So they put us up in an extended stay. And what happened was... Um, there was a, 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 f- a few feet of an opening underneath the building. So the rain had got stuck under the building and it was causing condensation on, in, in the wood and on the windows and everything. And that's what was causing the mold. So it ended up taking them months to fix the problem. So we were staying at this like Marriott extended stay for, I think it's a Marriott, but, um, for a few months and, um, he was getting cabin fever. So it was just the most unbearable time. It was just so unbearable. I was like crying every day, like thinking like, how am I going to survive this? So, um, I, I really was at the end of my rope too. And we're at like year four at this point. So, so now, yeah, so we're in Vegas. I'm having this conversation with my mom. Um, they're, they're game planning. And so the game plan was since he's at the extended stay, He's not going to be going back to the house. He's not going to be going back to the apartment. So the plan was that while he's not there, while we're not there, um, we're going to take all of my things out of the apartment so that he doesn't know when he's not there. And another thing that had happened was that the landlord basically said that it's going to take them a lot longer than they thought to fix the unit and that he would like to offer me the opportunity to break my lease because it was expensive for them to keep paying for this hotel for us. So that was a blessing in disguise. And um, 
so I told him that I'll go ahead and accept that and we can break this lease. So I pulled out, we went and got a truck. We filled up the, filled up the apartment with all the stuff. Um, I ended up getting, he didn't have many things actually. I got a small storage unit and I put his things in the storage unit and I basically told him, um, that my dad was sick and that I have to go and take care of my dad and he didn't believe it, but I stuck with that story and my dad was sick around that time, so it could have been believable, um, I gave him a couple hundred dollars because I knew he didn't have any money just so he could have some gas or something. And that was it. And I didn't see him again after that. And now my family knew everything that had happened. <clears throat> um, my cousins knew. And like I said about my one cousin, we're, 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 we're pretty close. We're like sisters. And they were like a support system for me. And they made me commit to them that I would stop communicating with him. And he would uh, try contacting me. And the first few weeks was hard. And as fearful as the situation was, and as 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 much as I, I was afraid of him, and I, I felt like I was living in like a hell, I had also become attached to him. And there was that companionship and that fondness there. And so when he called sometimes, I would pick up the phone and talk to him. And the commitment to my cousins was that when he would try calling or if I ever had the urge to call was to contact them and talk through that, that they'd help me talk it through. And they kept up their bargain And this was a process, you guys. And it took, I remember that first six months was so hard. It was so hard because it was like everyone knew us too. Everyone had seen us together. Everyone knew we were like this healthy couple. I'm, I'm, I'm a little curvy now, (laughs) but, um, when I was with him, that was our lifestyle. We were healthy. We were fit. We ate like the cleanest foods and, 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 and he was really great in front of people. People loved him. People loved him. He was charming, good looking, nice, engaging. People loved him. And I don't talk about him. I don't, I don't talk about who he is or say his name or, um, I just don't, I don't, that's, um, anyways, um, so I felt very empty after that. I felt very empty. I felt lost. I knew it was the right thing, but it 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 didn't feel good. Um the places that we used to go together, I was going alone and people would ask where he was and it felt weird. Um I also realized that I I would get scared in some of the places that I would go. Um, afraid what if I ran into him so I stopped going to some of the places that we would go so in 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 the hopes that I wouldn't run into him then I found out that he moved out of town 
Um, so that gave me a little bit more of a sense of safety and, um, yeah, I was just, I was lost for that six months. Um, and I try to keep myself busy and this is when I've, I've talked about this in another podcast, right? I didn't go into the abusive relationship part, but I started making a list of, of things that I wanted to do in my life. And I started doing them. And, and, and one of those actually was reading to kids, doing like story time. And I signed up, I became a star reader, um, at the, uh, LA County public library. And I would go every Monday for two or three hours and I would do story time and I would pick out a bunch of books I'd practice them and all the kids would come and, um, they started knowing which day I was doing the readings. So they would come and sit and we'd read books and we'd sing songs and I'd have prizes for them if they were good. And what started happening, I'll, I'll tell you why this, this, this helped me, this situation, because after, after this whole thing, sorry, I'm skipping around after this whole thing. The way that I described that experience was it was as if my rose-colored glasses that I had worn all through life. And remember how at the beginning of this episode I said how I just, you know, everything was like Disney for me, like a Disney movie. Uh, I had so much unconditional love and I saw good and I saw just all these things. It was like my belief system was destroyed, destroyed, you know? Me, my whole life, trying to be a good person and being a good person and treating people with kindness and unconditional love. That's what was my value system in life. My value system proved me wrong. Not only did it prove me wrong, it put me in danger and destroyed me. So knowing that, I, I, I felt like I had nothing. I had nothing. I felt like I'd lost my dignity. I'd lost my self-respect. I'd lost this person that I had gotten close with and cared about. This identity that we had created for ourselves, I'd lost that. And knowing that it was the right decision, that's what kept me committed to it, was that I knew it was the right decision. My feelings contradicted that. If I'm going to be completely honest with you, my feelings contradicted it. I felt comfort in him. And that's what happens. It happens to a lot of women. When people talk about women that are battered and abused physically and they think, why can't you just leave him? Why do you keep going back? Why do you keep going back? That's why. It's, it's, it's deeper than just the physical abuse and, and, and the emotional abuse. It's, it's, this person's like ingrained in us in this other way. Um, so I had to fight my feelings because my feelings were not going to lead me to safety. My feelings were going to lead me to a bad place. And so I had to commit to this, this, um, thing that I had going with my cousins, which, which, which really helped. And going back to the whole, me feeling like my rose colored glasses was shattered. 
I couldn't see life the same anymore. Like everything was like ugly to me. People were ugly to me. Like I just, I didn't see good in humanity anymore. I just saw ugliness. I, 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 I couldn't believe in good anymore. And this experience with the story time with the kids, that experience and seeing them as innocent, pure souls and spending three hours a day with them once a week, that experience is what restored my soul. I know it might sound weird, but it did. And if I didn't spend that time with those kids... I don't know where I would be right now and I don't know who I would be right now. Like, they brought me back. And I started, going back to that list, I started writing things that I'd wanted to do and part of it was getting back into charity work and, um, you know, just trying new things and sailing ended up being something I wanted to do so I put that on my list and I took a sailing class and um, and I've been, I, I was part of this nonprofit organization, which I talk about all the time, Angel's Nest, helping former foster youth. That was my first experience and my first exposure to what happens to people in the foster care system and what happens when they transition out. And so I'm doing great at work and like I brought in one of the biggest deals in the history of our company. And one thing I actually have to say is that during that time while we were together um, and I was going through this. When I would go to work, it was my one time that I could like check out and just have peace. So I did really well at work during this time. And um, it, it overall was a very, very, very challenging time in my life because my father was also ill during those years. And I was taking helping to take care of him too. And that's a whole other story. And maybe I'll share that on a different episode. But um So it was a very challenging time. And so work ended up being kind of my solace and I excelled at my job and I did well. Um, But so here I am now after this is post, um, you know, I'm doing great at work. I'm taking these trips. I'm traveling the world. I'm part of this nonprofit organization. I'm doing things that I'm passionate about. I'm learning how to sail. And all of a sudden it's like December and he calls me from a number that I didn't recognize. I picked up the phone and it was him. And like my heart sank to the pit of my stomach. And I was like, what do you want? And he tells me that he's out of money and he needs a place. Him and his dog just need a place for just a few hours to come and shower and rest and that he'll be on his way. And I, a part of me thought to myself, what harm is it going to do? This poor man doesn't have anything. I could let him stay for just a night or just let him use my shower. And I almost, almost was going to tell him okay. And I stopped for a second. I thought to myself, Arzo, think about this. If you let him into your house, what could happen? And he's not going to leave. And everything you've worked for in the last six months or the last year, 
all the good that you've created for yourself at work and in your activities and your nonprofit, he's going to destroy all of it, all of it. And I thought to myself, I've come too far and I've worked too hard to take that chance of him destroying that. So I paused and I said, you know what? No, you can't stay in my place. I said, but there's a local homeless shelter and they'll give you something to eat and they'll let you stay for a couple nights. Here's the number. And I hung up the phone. And it took time to get there. Think about that, you guys. You heard the story. It took me time to get there. He's never called me since. I've never contacted him. I haven't seen him. And at this point, it's been, what year is it? Um, It's been about five years, I think. Um, yeah, it's been about five years, which really is not that long ago, if you think about it, but it's long enough. It's long enough. Um, and he, and, and he lives somewhere else now. Um, and I just, I just, uh, I don't wish anything. I don't, you know, sometimes people say, oh, I wish good things. I just, I just want our energies and our karmas to just be separated. I don't. I don't care. Um, And since then, you guys kind of know the rest part of the story for those of you that listen to the podcast and if you're familiar with the brand and know any of our stories, but which I pretty much talk about a lot of stuff. So if, if you don't know and if you're interested in learning all the background stuff, you can always go back and check out the other podcasts and check out our blogs. We have a few blogs, um, which share some stories there, too. But uh, from there, um, I just kept doing more um, volunteer work on the board of Angel's Nest and helping build that organization and learning more and more about the plight of foster youth and learning about um, the fact that 60% of sex trafficking victims come from the foster care system or are former foster youth. And that's a startling statistic. And... A lot of the tactics and a lot of what I went through in my situation with this person um, is very similar to a lot of the tactics that sex traffickers use on these women. So I feel for them in a in a very personal way. Um, and they need help just like I needed help. And sometimes people need help. People need someone to extend a hand, um, pull them out. And my family did that for me, and I was lucky that my family did that for me. My cousins were there as my support system. A lot of people don't have that. Kids in foster care don't have that. Victims of sex trafficking don't have that. So who's going to pull them out? Who's going to extend a hand to them the way my family did for me? There isn't anybody unless we become that extending of a hand. And that's why I started Sexy Boss Babe. It's because I believe in women 
women that are experiencing domestic abuse in their relationships. And for me, when I look back at my experience and how I got there, yes, I was a victim. I, I, I was not the aggressor or the oppressor. I was the one that was being victimized in that experience. However, I also have a part in that experience. So what was my part? How did I get there? And for me, and, and I'm sure everyone has their own version of it, but for me, it was I ignored the red flags early on when they came up. And one of those was that fight that I told you about that this was before we had ever moved in together. We had that fight and his reaction to the fight, his level of anger wasn't a normal anger. It wasn't. I knew it wasn't normal and I ignored it. And I've spoken about this. I've given a speech about this, that it boils down to a lack of self-esteem and a lack of self-love. And in that moment, when I saw that red flag, I chose to want to be with him. And in making that choice, I chose to love him more than choosing to love myself. If I would have made the choice to love myself, the choice would have been, whoa, that was a close call. Glad I didn't get closer to this person. That would have been the right answer. If I had a stronger sense of self-esteem and if I had more self-love, that would have been the answer. And it wasn't. That's why self-esteem is so important. And as women, if we don't have it, we need to start working on it. Self-esteem is our strongest line of defense to protect ourselves. Okay? That's why Sexy Boss Babe, every box has an empowerment message on it. It's because of all of these personal experiences that I've had coming from a place of lower self-esteem and a lack of self-love. And working on myself over the years to build and build and build and find self-love in myself so that I don't feel like I have to hang on to somebody because they gave me a little bit of attention and a little love and a little affection and listen to me speak. And I learned to trust my loved ones around me and open up and share my stories and realizing that a lot of people love me. So this brand, it's about empowering women. It's about giving women a voice and reminding them, reminding each other. We have power. We have to protect ourselves. And this is how we have to stand up for ourselves. And this is how we can go after what we want in life. And this is how, and then creating a community of strong women that together we go back and help the others. We help the ones that are struggling and that can't help themselves or that need a hand. Someone in a former foster youth or a foster, a, a child in the foster care system who can't speak up for themselves. A survivor. And Sexy Boss Babe does that through offering workshops on self-esteem, offering workshops on empowerment. I'm somebody that didn't have it and learned what to do to find it. And a lot of these people are in that same boat. So I've been where they've been 
in that regards and I've learned how, and I've learned how to find a way out and a way through and a way to protect myself and a way to notice those red flags and then act on them and reminding myself to choose self-love over loving the other person and going back to that first part that I had talked about about unconditional love and having all of those things I still have that it's just a little bit different and I have stronger boundaries now and I make sure that and I love to give that's not going to go away that's part of who I am but I'm not going to give at my own expense and I'm going to make sure that I'm safe first and these are exactly the things that our youth need to hear as well as survivors of sex trafficking through their healing process so I'm doing a call to action right now, right this minute. This is the hashtag SBB movement. It is a grassroots movement. Grassroots means no media, no marketing. It's just me. It's just you and whoever else you tell and whoever else you share this podcast with and whoever else you tell Sexy Boss Babe about and whoever else they share and tell as well too. That's the grassroots movement. Together, we can create a community. Together, we can create power. And together, we can extend a hand. We're about to roll out a campaign. It's available on the website right now. It's on the fundraiser page. And if you click on that, it's called the hashtag SBB sponsorship. There is a sponsorship opportunity to be able to sponsor 10 youth um, or 10 survivors in our workshop programs. That's what we need help with. That is what's going to help our community. We work with a series of charity partners that are listed on our website. You can click on them. You can get to know them, what they do and who they help. They're doing very, very important work. And this is what we have created. This is what our contribution is. Our workshops, donating product. And you might think, what do these youth need product for? Or Sexy Boss Wave Nails for? Sex traffickers use nail services as a way to lure young people into the life. This, There's an actual document uh, that states this through the Department of Children and Family Services and their budget. Um, that actually states that almost verbatim what I just said. That's why it's important. So we want to get in there. We want to get FaceTime. We want to get messages of self-esteem and empowerment to people that need to hear it. And I need your help in doing that. I need your help in sponsoring. If you can sponsor on your own, if you want to get a group of your friends together and sponsor, if you want to get a group of people at work or in one of your network groups or a class, whatever it is, get together, tell other people about the hashtag SBB movement. The only way we're going to create change is through doing it together. I believe in you. 
I believe in sexy boss babe. I believe in the power of women. And on the back of every box of sexy boss babe, we have a little blurb about the beauty and the power of women. And it is through the feminine energy that we will create change in our world. Thank you for listening. This was the hardest podcast episode for me. I realize it's probably the most important one I've ever done. If you are a victim of domestic violence, you can get help by calling the National Domestic Violence Hotline at one 800 799-7233 or visit their website thehotline.org They will help you free of charge. To learn more about the hashtag SBB movement please visit our website at www.sexybossbabe.com and click on the fundraiser page. We need help with sponsorships. Thank you for your support. Mm-hmm.